and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show we have Liz Ryan, who is the CEO and founder of Human Workplace. She is also a former Fortune 500 SVP of HR who has written for Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, Business Week, and many other outlets. So thanks so much for joining us today, Liz. For sure, for sure, thanks for having me. Let's dive in with a statement you have on your website that encourages people to quote, create the careers they deserve. Why do so many of us struggle with that endeavor? Well, I think we've been trained, Matt, you know, for a really long time since we were little kids that other people make a lot of the important decisions for us. You know, we've been trained to uh, be kind of subservient, overly deferential to people that look more powerful than we do. And for most people, that includes anybody who's making a decision about hiring you and anybody who becomes your boss. So there's a lot that is, is not healthy about what we teach people about careers. And it takes some unlearning and some undoing brainwashing, frankly, to realize that we are in control. We are each the CEO of our own life and career, except that you know a lot of people are not telling us that. That has to be something that we feel and act on, whether it's reinforced in our environment or not. Most people believe that they get to do a job if somebody else finds them worthy. And so what I'm teaching is sort of the opposite of that. Let's decide which employers and which managers are worthy of having you on their teams. Hmm. That's a shift in mindset that takes a lot, usually takes people some time to step into because it goes completely against what they learned for decades. You, you've had a, a fascinating career, worked for different outlets, worked for yourself, worked for large organizations. How did you kind of discover your why? How, how did you figure out that this was something that really made you excited to get up in the morning? Well, I'm a, my background is I'm a performer, first of all. I went to music school to study vocal performance. I'm an opera singer. And so, you know, I just saw myself as an artist and a singer and didn't really expect to do any kind of business stuff. Although I had done little, you know, baby clerical things for my dad, who was a magazine publisher um, when, when I was a kid, just for, you know, for spare change. And I knew that office work is pretty simple, really, when you boil it down. Certainly entry level jobs was not going to be intellectually taxing. That's what people always say. I got a degree and I got this job and it's like really trivial. On, on the theory that you have to kind of like work your way up, but we could talk about that another time. Hmm. So I'm in music school and I'm waitressing and in New York and um, uh, I got sick of it. I got sick of, you know, a number of things, toxic kitchens and you can imagine. And so I decided to uh, just try to make some money temping and I did a little temp office job alongside school. And um, then I decided not to go back to school anymore. And I moved to Chicago with a punk rock band, but that's a whole nother story. And I couldn't, waitress in Chicago, I couldn't wait tables because I wasn't 21. I didn't even know, had not even thought to inquire about the drinking age in Illinois and Chicago where I was moving because it, it just didn't occur to me. And I was 19 and so I had to go inside and do office work. One thing led to another. I got put into HR kind of against my will 
when I was 24. And um, I said, wow, there is really some potential here to make a place a great place to work. So it resonated with me as being a lot like performing in that you create an emotional environment where people feel good. And this is not a common conception of HR, I don't think, but that's why I write and speak about it so much because there is enormous, any management job, any HR job, in, in a way, any job, if you're in the right organization, has tremendous potential to influence you know, the way that people are treated and the way it feels to work there. And, and by consequence, of course, the way the company performs. This is the connection. People feel good. They feel like part of something. They're respected. Obviously, they're going to bring more of themselves to work. Hmm. Well, the, the origin story there is, is really interesting. And one of the things that has kind of fascinated me, a, a lot of the people that listen to the show have a people management component. They're, they're people managers or they've managed people in the past or they hope to manage people in the future. And a piece of content that your firm released that resonated with me was entitled 23 Things That Most Managers Do Wrong. It was an intense and impactful Piece and it kind of makes you think about your own personal leadership style. And the first thing on that list is that you shouldn't see your team members as part of a production machine. Rather, you should see them as collaborators. So how do we as people managers slow down to ensure that we see everybody as a collaborator? Well, it's a great question, Matt. Thank you. The first thing about that is that when we think about leadership, we usually start the conversation, how can I be a better leader? Or what do I have to stop doing you know, to be less of, a, of an unfortunate leader? We start the conversation with, I have to do this, I have to do that. These are the ways I talk to people, treat people, you know, check in with people, all that stuff. And, the, and those practices are essential and they're really, really good. But I think as every passing day, look at the world around us right now. Look at, look at what we're seeing in terms of institutions not rising to the challenges of today, right? And, and that's all I'll say about that. But we're in a very, very difficult, fractious, um, you know, world-changing time. Uh, partly coronavirus, partly protests and, 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 and actions on the parts of government, and police officers and so on. Institutions themselves are call, being called into question very, very appropriately. And, and one of them is the institution of of employment and leadership in employment. And so coming back around to your question, you know, these 23 ways, 23 things managers do wrong. I give managers a pass largely on those 23 mistakes because once again, that's what they were taught to do. The biggest hoax is the idea that you were promoted because someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, now you're a supervisor, now you're a manager, and therefore you get to go out and kind of boss people around. It doesn't work that way. You have to build trust from yourself as a person. So the hardest part of management is obviously not anything having to do with your employees, but being able to find and speak your truth with the people you report to, to bring your integrity to the job. That's always the hardest part of any management role. Hmm. So it's, 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 deciding, realizing when they say, now you're going to be a supervisor, you get this office and you no longer have to sit in a cube and you get a business card and we pay you more. That comes with strings, honey. You have to be in a position to speak your truth and even at times to risk losing your job because if you don't do that, you yourself will get trampled 
under that machinery that, that we spoke about and, and, and be told you have to say things that you do not believe. This is the part of leadership, Matt, we got to talk about all the time. Hmm. Let, let's dig into that a little bit more and, and almost even make it a little bit personal. So let's, let's talk about managing your team. So you've grown your organization. What's the biggest HR challenge for you? You're growing a company with an HR focus, but you also have to think about HR and leadership development of your own organization. Where do you struggle and when, where have you improved or where, what still needs work on your end? Well, a lot of this stuff, Matt, I cut my teeth 30, 20, 10 years ago, right? So I'm, I'm, I've graduated from high school in 1978, right? I've been doing this stuff for a while. Now at Human Workplace, okay, so you will not be surprised to hear there are no working hours, right? We don't care. There's no, we don't keep track of when you work and when you don't work, right? Why would I do that? But, but Matt, I did that stuff in 1990, 1988, we got rid of our attendance policy for salaried employees. U.S. Robotics, a growing uh, data communications firm. We said, why? We don't have time. We don't have time to keep track. You were here. You were there. We don't have an attendance policy. We hired you. Obviously, we think the world of you. You know, it was never a problem. 10,000 employees, never an attendance problem with a salaried employee because we treated them like adults. Every company should do that. We didn't have a dress code policy, right? We don't get into the weeds with this stuff that is really about fear and control. So obviously now years on at, at Human Workplace, it's, these are not topics. We don't, I'm not struggling with HR stuff anymore because what would that look like, right? Hire people that are way smarter than me at all the stuff that they do. And we, you know, we use online tools to communicate and we, you know, get together when we need to get together. And it's, it's the last thing I think about. So some of our, our listeners might know that I have a specific fascination at, at some level with subtitles of books. So you wrote a book entitled Reinvention Roadmap. And the subtitle there was Break the Rules to Get the Job You Want and the Career You Deserve. So the question is this, what are the rules that too many of us are following and what do we gain by thinking outside of the box? Well, it's a great question, Matt. Thank you. The rules are you have to, let's just start with your branding. You have to write a resume that doesn't use the word I and that uses sentence fragments in a really sort of governmental, bureaucratic, zombie speak way, results oriented professional with a bottom line orientation. That is not you, that's not me, that's not anyone. That's some kind of zombie speak that we were taught. I remember going to get my first resume made at, at a print shop, it used to be print shops. You would get a hundred resumes and you couldn't change it. So you were stuck with your resume, at least for the first hundred jobs you applied for. Now you can change your resume every time you use it. And I hope that you do. We can speak like human beings. We can say, I'm a project manager who likes to do this and that. Here's my background. Here's who I am. We can speak with a human voice. The thing that we invented, our innovation for resumes, of course, is called a human voice resume. You can reach out to your hiring manager directly. That's breaking a rule because you're supposed to go through the front entrance where the stone lions and the potted plants are, right? No, you don't have to do that. If, if the applicant tracking system is letting you down, you're not hearing back, as is the case for many, many, if not most job seekers, you, you find your hiring manager, your department manager, your future boss. And this is, of course, 
all outlined in the book, Reinvention Roadmap. You break the rule that says that, you know, you have to do whatever an employer tells you to do in the interview process. No, you don't. You can leave at any point, Matt. You can stand up and leave an interview. And nowadays, I really think this is a skill people need to cultivate because they need to listen to that little voice in their gut, trusty gut that evolved for millennia to keep us safe, right? And listen to it and act on it. Mm. it used to be in a physical meeting, you would rise from your chair and say, thank you so much for your time today. It's not a good fit, but I really appreciate the time you've given me. And you're out of there. Now it's on Zoom, it's the exact same thing. And you bail. Because it, 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 if it is, doesn't feel right, you're, you're trying to strengthen those instincts, not squash them and stop listening to them. Hmm. One thing that's always really interested me about a lot of the guests that we've had on the show thus far is, is risk taking. And, and in your instance, you know, you wrote for many different outlets. You had a, a varied but successful career in corporate and then you moved over and kind of created your own company. And there's, there's a lot of risk and risk taking involved in that. How do you think about risk taking? Um, and how do you actually pursue it when you kind of decide to make that leap? You know, I listened to the, 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 the nonsense, Matt, for years. And people said, it's scary working for yourself. It's scary starting your new thing, starting a company. Oh my gosh, working for yourself. It isn't. You work for one company, Matt. You your body, your mind changes. This is known. You, you start to be very tuned into what does my boss think about me? What does the company think about me? Look how many articles are all over the internet about how to get in good with your boss, how to get brownie points, how to rise up in the political. It's gross. This is not you or me or any of us. This is not us operating in our power. Stepping out on your own means you wake up unemployed in the morning, but you have all the control about what happens that day, which few of us can say in our corporate jobs or startups or government or anywhere else. Hmm. The reason I started consulting is that I didn't think there were very many companies that would want me at that point, notwithstanding, you know, a, a, a relatively you know, successful um, corporate career because of how I think, which is, you're hearing right now, obviously, right? And why would I go take a paycheck from somebody who doesn't want to hear how I think? You don't get paid enough. Like they can't pay you enough to not be yourself at work. That's the learning. Hmm. Your, your, your life, your mark, your stamp on this planet is more important than pleasing somebody and getting a gold star in your forehead and a good performance review. And I speak to you as a former SPP of HR for a Fortune 500 company. So I'm not being flip. This is really, really true in my experience and the millions of human workplace followers today is that we have to make those decisions. It's not as risky as you think. The, 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 the idea that you cannot take risks, there's, there's no such thing. You work a corporate job, you're taking a risk that your job will go away tomorrow based on nothing that you've done wrong but the fact that there was a conversation in Hong Kong or Philadelphia or somewhere that your whole division is toast. And all the effort and, and blood, sweat and tears that you put into making your boss happy and your boss's boss goes for nothing and you could have been spending some of that energy looking out for yourself, making sure your resume was con continually growing, building your network, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Well, I think it's great advice on the focus on how do you develop yourself as a leader or a professional in a corporate space, how do you think about going out on your own? For those of us who manage 
other individuals, how do we instill that level of focus in them? How do we enable them to both be a wonderful performer for our company, but not sacrifice any of the personal development that is so vital? That's a great question. I, you know, the first thing is to look in the mirror and look at fear in yourself. That's what I recommend to anybody in a management role, anybody in any role, but particularly for managers, we have fear, we don't express it, we don't even consciously think about it, but it influences our actions. So for example, occasionally I'll write a story about how horrifying it is that you can quit your job, give two weeks notice after you know three, four, seven years doing a great job, and have your manager say, you should leave right now. Because you were job hunting behind my back, uh, you could give away corporate secrets or I don't trust you anymore. That is fear, that is childish, it's unprofessional, it's bad for the company, bad for the brand, horrible for the rest of the team who sees somebody getting perp walked out the door. You know, it's absolutely the worst thing you could do and it's fear, it's just for years and years, I was an HR person who never once had a manager say, this person needs to leave because they committed the sin of giving notice, what? Giving notice is normal. It's part of the whole thing. Maintain a good relationship with that person. They might come back. You and they might work together. What are you talking about? Fear comes out. And in many cases, managers are not aware of it and they're not stopped. There's no HR person uh, mouthy as me to say, no, 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 we're not doing that. Right. And so look for fear in yourself. It is there, I promise you, because the workplace that we all occupy the Taylor Weber workplace, you know, coming out of the industrial revolution and the mechanization of labor is a fear-based place. Fear coming down in terms of not wanting to upset your superiors, not wanting to look bad, not wanting to lose face, all this stuff, up to and including, of course, not wanting to get fired. And that's why the big thing I'm talking about now all the time, particularly in light of the events of the last couple of weeks, is we need employment contracts for every single employee. It should be a standard national contract like they have in every other industrialized country that says, here's the terms of your employment. You cannot be fired for job hunting. You cannot be fired because somebody doesn't like the fact that you're a Boston Red Sox fan when they're a Chicago Cubs fan, whatever. You cannot be, employment at will is a pox. It's a horrible thing, it needs to go for the United States to step into its power as a country that develops people and their talent. Hmm. Well, that is a fascinating place to end it and talking about the importance of removing fear and how we as professionals and leaders can think more critically about how we're empowering the people on our team and empowering ourselves. And with that, I want to shift to the final two rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests. And question number one is, if you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would that word be? Casual. I don't know. Human. <laughs> I mean, company's called Human Workplace, so gotta gotta go with that. Casual and human. I'll give you two. And our okay. rapid fire question is this: What is the best piece of advice that you ever received? Uh, I was in a cab one time, going to the Fine Arts Building in Chicago for a voice lesson. I was 25, and the cab driver said, "You having a good day?" I said, "Oh, I'm frustrated." He said, "Why?" I said, "Because I I'm, I got to stay at my company like a while. I don't know how long." I got to stay because they paid for part of my degree. I'm about to graduate and, uh, and I feel duty bound. I can't just bail after they paid all that tuition. He goes, why is that bad? I said, because I want to move on. I want to do more. I want to grow. Blah, blah. 
And he goes, oh, haven't you ever heard of the gift of time? I said, never heard about it. He goes, like, they use this in prison. Guys in prison and women, they, 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 they use the gift. It's a gift. You didn't want it. You're stuck in a place. You feel frustrated. You're seeing it all wrong. Use that time. Use it. Decide what you really want to do. Figure out how you're going to get there. It's, you're forced. You're in captivity. It's a gift if you see it. I was like, whoa. And I have used that so many times and talked about it and written about it since then. Very, very powerful idea for me. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Liz. The gift of time is a great spot to end it. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, thanks, Matt. They can visit us online, humanworkplace.com. Uh, Twitter is at Human Workplace, Human Workplace on Facebook and Instagram. I think that's about it. We've got a podcast, The Truth About Work podcast with Liz Ryan. That's me. And um, yeah, just uh, keep, uh, keep finding your voice. Well, thank you for all the great insight and thank you to all our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our organization Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. And be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. Thank you.